imposter syndrome, that, that sense that, oh gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm a phony, I, I don't really have the, the expertise that everybody seems to be um, expecting from me. It still makes you nervous and you're still worried about whether the head of department of a big organisation is going to find you out. There are challenges around confidence and am I going to be good enough? Am I going to be able to rise to this challenge or is this the project that will be the one where I get found out? If I asked some people who know me well, they would say that I don't believe in myself enough. And so when I get to a big decision it takes me a long time hello and welcome to this episode of what do you actually do in today's special episode we'll be discussing imposter syndrome and career confidence today we're joined by my university of york colleagues joe hardy the student well-being program manager and Gemma cormican an open door practitioner so hi joe hi Gemma. hi hi okay i think maybe if we start off we've actually exploring you know what is imposter syndrome and how might it affect students and graduates so Gemma would you like to kick off with that one absolutely um imposter syndrome is quite um an interesting topic but it's also very prevalent um especially in university settings it, the way that I tend to describe it is a bit like um Damocles's sword from Greek mythology and the idea that there is a sword hanging over your head that could drop at any minute. A lot of people with imposter syndrome walk around with the constant idea that they're going to be found out, they're going to be busted. Any minute, somebody's going to find out that their place at university was a mistake. Somebody's made an unkind error or invited them and given them a place to university by mistake and that they're going to get kicked out. The same is true of people in employment, when they're applying for jobs, when they're looking at graduate programs, there's that real sense that I've done this by accident. This is a fluke. I don't actually deserve that. And that any minute they're going to get busted. It's interesting because I think it can be a real blocker for people making decisions. When I see people in careers appointments, if they're really feeling anxious about the future and really feeling unsure about what they could do that is often linked with feeling that they can't really do anything they don't know what they're good at and it stops you from getting started on exploring ideas and being open to possibilities so it can really I guess as well as that sword hanging over you it's it's holding you back from actually moving forward isn't it Oh, absolutely. Imposter syndrome is, is very heavily linked with perfectionism, the kind of the shame associated with feeling like people might make a mistake or that they're not good enough in some way. And the, the cycle that, that takes place through that internal process. And that absolutely comes out when you're looking at careers and looking at what you might be good at, looking at whether you you think of, or more importantly, feel whether a job is for you. People can get into a real process and caught in a loop of discounting ideas and discounting career options because of that little gremlin that sits in the in the gut somewhere between the ribcage and the belly button that says, oh, I don't, you, you might not be good enough at that. I mean, I, I would concur with that, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've seen this from um, a staff perspective as well in, in employment in, throughout my career, really, um, that people rule themselves out of things. 
And I always, you know, have done some mentoring of um, staff members. And, and I, I always phrase it um, in terms of it's for somebody else to tell you that you are not suitable or that you don't have the qualifications or experience or something like that. That is that is their job to do. Um, so realistically, you know, if you're, if you're beginning to put boundaries on your expectations, if you're beginning to sort of fence yourself in, if you like, it's really important to kind of understand what, what, what those boundaries are that you're imposing. And, and just to understand that, you know, I have people say to me, well, I'll, I'm not applying for that job because I'm not what they want. And it's just like, well, no, that's not, that's not your job to do. Your job is to apply for it. And it's their job to decide whether you know you are suitable or not. And, and so, so to me, I think it's as well as that that, that really personal feeling. Um, it's also you know a really it can be a really significant kind of blocker, as you say, Kate, for people feeling that they can they are allowed, if you like, um, to go and do things. That's so true. I've spoken to so many people, both undergrads, postgrads, graduates in jobs, people senior in their jobs who've talked themselves out of things. Yeah, yeah. It's shocking, it's, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I I, I will just mention um, a, a marvellous friend of mine who has um, a sign on their notice board that says, proceed until apprehended. <laughs> and I have to say, as a kind of motto to live, by, well, possibly not across all of your life, but in an employment setting, in a kind of career setting, actually that has a lot of validity it's just absolutely proceed until someone tells you no actually we don't need you at this point because you know just stop stop getting in your own way you know there are many things that will get in your way but you don't have to be one of them I really like that idea actually just removing responsibility for making that decision about whether you can or should do something yeah. just take that away just go for it yeah um, ab- yeah and, and I mean I have to say some of the more interesting career paths I've been on have just been you know speculative and I thought well it's, it's not really down to me to be making big decisions at this point I'll be, that's for other people and then I will I will deal with what comes out of that you know if and when I'm offered a position or something like that but it's not for me to be ruling myself out of things. For both of you I guess how yeah. prevalent do you think imposter syndrome is? Are you, Gemma are you sort of having a lot of meetings with students about this and Joe is this something if you're seeing staff as well as students is this something that affects a lot of people? Honestly I've worked at the university in the open door team for over 12 years now and I don't think I've come across a student yet who doesn't in one way shape or the other have to some degree a sense of imposter syndrome and I would challenge you if I'm honest to try and find somebody on campus just one person on campus who's never had a never had a moment of self-doubt never felt like they're punching above their weight never felt like they are doing something that they haven't earned I do think that a certain amount of that I mean obviously Gemma um is is talking about the kind of problematic end um I think a little bit of kind of not self-doubt but a little bit of sort of you know just questioning um about yourself and your abilities is actually a, a good and beneficial thing if it leads to positive outcomes if it leads to thinking well I, I I should maybe do this I should maybe get this experience I should get these qualifications I should work on this kind of thing I, yeah in my experience um many many people have this and there are also um particular um sets of people who tend to have this as well i don't know whether Gemma um has come across any any data on you know who is particularly affected but um i do find that sometimes 
people who are less at home in a university environment can feel this more, I think. And it's behoved on the university really to, to help people move past that and understand what their um, what their possibilities might be. Is it something that is getting worse, do you think? I'm just conscious of, I've noticed obviously with COVID, um, there was certainly a time when students seemed more concerned about sort of in-person meetings speaking out in lectures and seminars because it's just it was something they just weren't used to because for you know possibly quite a few years they'd been stuck in a bedroom with all the different lockdowns and stuff so that feeling of how you're placed with other people um, I'm just wondering is it something that has got worse because of that or because of social media and worrying about how others will judge you and what you're saying or is this something that is just it's part of the human condition to to be racked with self-doubt <laughs> oh hurrah <laughs> honestly I think imposter syndrome is something that we are that we experience from from when we're very young in in one way or another um I wouldn't necessarily say that it's that more people are struggling with it in response to COVID, but it's certainly become more obvious for people who experience it when we were coming out of of lockdown, when people started sitting in person exams for the first time after a long break. Um, Students arriving who, for example, didn't sit their A-level exams because they couldn't, and then they came to university and having not had A-level exams, then started to think about, oh gosh, well, have I actually earned my place here? So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's more prevalent than it was, but I think people are becoming a lot more aware of it. Yeah, I can imagine it would be so tough to feel you know, do I deserve to be here? And is this my real grade? And that kind of thing, because as much as objectively, someone might think, well, you were really disadvantaged because you didn't have normal lessons and all this other crazy stuff was going on. I can understand the individual Mm. might feel, well, I wasn't under the same conditions as other people in the past. So do my results still count? And that kind Mm. of thing. Can I pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned there, Kate? Um, just because I'm, I'm, I'm really quite interested in, in the relationship of these plays. I think what was lost in COVID, from my perspective, for staff and students, was that the kind of context to it, so that you you basically didn't have that moment where you're sitting in a room with somebody else or coming out of an exam or something like that. And there's always that moment of shared sort of, um, oh, that was awful. How was it for you? Or I didn't understand that bit. And, and hearing another five people go, yeah, that was really tricky. I didn't get it either. Um, just because it was always kind of, you know, on, on Zoom calls and you were just kind of stuck with, with with your own context. And I suppose it's easy to think, well, I was the only person who thought that or I was the only person who struggled with that. So I think there's that kind of, just that immediate peer context of, of lots of people going oh that was awful or I didn't understand that or, or, or whatever so I think that's one point but I think the other thing that you raised about social media is actually really important because social media is a curated existence you know very few people put on the day-to-day slog on their social media you know what it's always a very curated and in in most cases positive spin 
on how people are functioning and what their lives look like. And it's, you know, even though I think we all get that, we all we all know that it's, it's really tricky sometimes. And to just keep that thought in your mind when you're looking at other people who seem to be doing so well, you know, that whole compare and despair thing is a real problem with this when everyone else looks shiny and new and marvellous. So it's kind of a double whammy then of... Mm. You haven't got the social context and that collective experience of all going through, you know, doubts and trying to overcome things together. But you've also got this fake reality where it looks like everyone's feeling so much better and doing so much better. Yeah. And and it's really difficult. I know that, you know, people listening to this will probably be thinking, yes, we we kind of know this. But it's really difficult to sort of, I don't know, feel it as well as know it. You know, we can intellectually know something, but but whether you know, we can quickly put in that, you know, sort of context to what we're looking at um, is another thing entirely. Do you guys think there's any benefits to imposter syndrome? Because Gemma, from your perspective, we were chatting a little bit earlier about this idea of actually allowing yourself to feel things. So is are there any benefits from that perspective? And obviously, Joe, a moment ago, you were talking about some of the sort of ways it can help identify your training needs. So Gemma, do you want to sort of start with that? You've got to understand as a clinician, as a as a psychotherapist, when I talk about imposter syndrome, I talk about it in terms of clinically. And certainly at the level that I see imposter syndrome at, I would say no, <laughs> there aren't very many benefits to that at all. But certainly on a on a lower level, on an everyday level, of having a moment of, you know, can I do this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for us all to kind of check in with ourselves and to notice, you know, notice what our limits are, but to also push those limits, to have a a kind of um, negotiation with ourselves almost. Yeah, I like that, sort of thinking it through and acknowledging that you feel unsure about something or worried about something, but still finding a way to go go for it. And I think that keys into, um, you know, another one of the things that we were thinking about um, for this podcast, which was the idea of resilience. And it's about, I suppose, it's that moment where you, I mean, Gemma knows infinitely more about this, um, but for me, it's it's that moment where you you um, you spot that you're kind of putting a barrier down for yourself. You, you spot that you're getting in your own way kind of thing. And um, it's being able to to respond to that in a in a relatively positive way i'm not talking about being all um all all happy about the whole thing but you know you can respond positively to it in in a kind of problem solving kind of way um but obviously you know really reflecting what Gemma talks about where there, there comes a point where it's entirely you know unhelpful and you know, then it's it's a really great idea to uh, to speak to someone about that and to get some help in in how to deal with it. So, just on that idea of resilience, I see a lot of job adverts, obviously, and we speak to lots of employers at, at careers, and and many graduate employers now specifically list resilience as one of their key attributes that they're looking for in candidates. So would you say resilience is the flip side to imposter syndrome where you acknowledge it's tough, but you find a way through that and you sort of don't give up? Or is resilience something distinct from countering imposter syndrome? Is it a thing in itself? I think the, the complicated answer to that is both. Okay. It can absolutely challenge imposter syndrome and it can be its own 
thing independently of imposter syndrome. One of the things that has bothered me a long time about people requiring resilience and talking about resilience is that resilience is not about being the best version of yourself. It's not about keeping calm and carrying on. It's not about ignoring the fact that the world is happening to you. It's about noticing exactly those things, noticing that the world is is happening around you and that you're having a reaction to that. It's okay to have feelings about what's happening in the world around you, that it's important to notice that your degree is tough and that actually there are times when we can be quite anxious about our education and about jobs in the future. Resilience is not about ignoring that stuff. It's about noticing it and bouncing back from it. It's about being able to acknowledge the stuff that is going on with us internally and to work through it, not about pretending it's not happening, which is, like I said, one of the things that's bothered me about people throwing around the word resilience for a long time, but not really having a concept of what it is. So absolutely, when it comes to imposter syndrome, yeah, having a good sense of resilience and being able to notice your own imposter imposter syndrome, being able to reassure yourself, being able to identify that this is imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome, the thoughts that go on in our head when we feel like an imposter are not the same as, as reality. They don't they don't match up. I think that's a good point, actually. It's called imposter syndrome. Yeah. For a bit. Yeah. <laughs> the clues in the name. Yeah. <laughs> How can we tackle imposter syndrome then? Because it sounds like it can really impact people in both small ways and huge ways. So how can we tackle this? Can I can I just jump in at this point, Kate? And just this kind of bridges at the last bit of conversation that mm. we were having. With lots of employers asking for resilient people, I have a background in uh, workplace safety. And I will say that I would I would always go for, if there was an advert that said an employer provides and encourages and fosters a resilient workforce, I'd far rather work for them than someone who just demanded all of their employees were resilient. It's just to balance up the idea that employees are always supposed to be the ones who, you know, go away, work on themselves, bounce back up, are resilient, that kind of thing. I think it's just balancing that with also employers have a responsibility to provide a workplace that allows people to do that, that that helps them do that, and also doesn't doesn't place them in a position where they are thrown back too much on their own personal resilience. You know, so I, I just wanted I, I can't fully articulate that, but um, I just think it's important that we're not placing every single thing in the workplace on um, employees just to be able to deal with it you know I, I just want to put a little word in that employers are also responsible for for this I think Sorry, that's that. a really yeah I think that's a really important point yeah and a lot of people a lot of students and graduates that I speak to now in careers appointments yeah. they're actually very interested in the values of the organization that they yeah. want to work for so it's less about I want to earn as much money as possible and that might still be important to you but it's also about I I want to work for a company that I believe in and that kind of I can be myself in yeah yeah and I mean we all know just how scary it is to see um, a job advert that says I must have good sense of humor because (laughs) I think we all know what's probably sitting behind what needs good sense of humor but uh yeah sorry I didn't I didn't mean to sort of take us off on a tangent but um I just 
yeah, I think it's a balance. Um, and I, I don't want people to feel that, you know, when they're moving into the workforce, that they are doing so, you know, and it's it's up to them to deal with with every single thing that employers can throw at them. You know, that they have, they're going to have rights and protections in the workplace as well. So um, it's up to employers to do that as well. So part of tackling imposter syndrome then is accessing support and acknowledging it's not just down to you to sort this out and kind of make it a thing. It's about the conditions that are suitable for any of us to be able to flourish in. Yeah, yeah. And I've read some really interesting articles about, you know, um, just making sure that it is imposter syndrome. You know, is there something about uh, the situation and workplace that you're in that is actually you know, that there are some inequalities that are built into it or something like that. So it's just, I think it's very easy for people, especially when they're beginning a career or they're beginning um, at a particular workplace to think, oh my goodness, this is me. Um, But I I just want to sort of give everyone a little nudge to kind of have a breath and think, well, actually it might be me, but also is there something going on here that um, is about my employer or about this job that actually I need to speak to someone about and tackle because, you know this is the effect that it's having I think that again going back to COVID has been really important for recent grads particularly those who are starting out remote working and not having that chance to just ask little questions to people and kind of pick up what's expected of them by osmosis as you would in a regular office environment where you've got colleagues around you and you get the lay of the land and you understand what's required of you yeah Um, that's been much harder when people have been stuck at home and they felt not like they don't want to bother someone by sending a full email so yeah Yeah. and I think it's not for the those individuals to get better at dealing with I think it's about employers understanding that these are some of the um limitations of the way that we've had to work and the way that we now work if we're working hybrid and to actually work to positively help individuals you know they're going to have to think about how the um you know the inductions and orientations into workplaces deals with 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 all of that that you know um you know how are they going to make sure that people feel able to ask questions and things so I I think it's just it's keeping it's it's holding that idea of yes it may be a bit of imposter syndrome it may well be something that you know an individual has to work on but also it might be something about the employer that they are going to have to start working in a different way. Gemma from your perspective do you have any kind of advice for how students or graduates can start to tackle imposter syndrome within themselves if if it is more of a in their own headspace rather than some of these objective things like asking for regular meetings and those kind of things absolutely I mean one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give my students is to give themselves time to learn when students arrive here they're here as students they're not expected to know everything but often imposter syndrome can leave you with a sense of being an imposter because you don't know everything and simply by giving yourself permission to be a student or a new starter at a new job or recognize what you don't get the informal moments over the waiting for the kettle to boil in an office are opportunities for learning and times when you have chat with colleagues and if you start a job on on zoom 
or working remotely, you miss out on that kind of sense of being a team and those really informal opportunities and noticing and allowing yourself permission to be new at something and not know it all and to take your time to learn. There's a reason, certainly with undergrads, that the first year of your degree often doesn't count towards your degree classification because there is so much learning going on outside of the classroom, learning to manage your own money and live with strangers, find your way around a new city, a new campus. There's so much going on. And by giving yourself permission to actually be the person who doesn't know can really help with imposter syndrome, can really help kind of reduce that anxiety that a simple reminder that you are you are learning and that it's okay to learn. I think that's that's a really interesting way to look at it actually because I mean particularly in an educational context that's the whole yeah. point of being here you don't know something that's why you come to learn it yeah. and I guess it's the same with work isn't it that you are starting out you're not recruited as an expert already you're there to train and develop and, and become an expert potentially. Absolutely and yet so many students or new employees get the this real sense of being an imposter because they don't know something or because they have to ask questions and often get really embarrassed about feeling like they're asking too many questions. There's a a real sense of being being an imposter that builds because they don't know. I was was just going to jump on that, Gemma, because I think you're you're entirely right. I mean, um, I, I think that the most confident statement I've ever heard anyone utter either in a kind of study environment I have less experience directly with that but also in the workplace most confident thing I think anyone can utter is the phrase I'm sorry I don't know because I don't think anyone is is expecting everyone to have absolute encyclopedic knowledge especially when they first start something I mean whether it's a degree like Gemma's been talking about or actually um, in the workplace and yeah, I think that really speaks of you know, just how important it is to understand that you are at the beginning of a journey. You're not supposed to land in a degree and just know everything that's going to be on there or, or land in a workplace and know about that. But unfortunately, it's kind of that's what everyone's signed up to to get to a university. You know, it has all been about you have to know everything. You have to be able to give particular bits of information. And it's really tricky, I think, sometimes for us to say to people, oh, no, 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 that's okay. We don't need that anymore. Because I, I would imagine it's slightly disorientating for people because they're like the last, I don't know, 14 years of their life have been all about that. And all of a sudden we're saying to people, oh, no, no, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't surprise me that people get disorientated with that change in, in emphasis, really. The other thing that I would add on the back of what you just said, Joe is it is absolutely okay not to know, but it's also important to recognise that we do have the skills to find out. And those skills might be a quick Google search, they might be, you know, the books in the library. They might also be asking a friend or a colleague, and it's okay to use all the resources available to you to find out the answer. I think from my perspective, there are sort of some nice little small wins that people can have that can help tackle imposter syndrome. So for example, CVs, something that's something that like everybody is like, oh, how can I improve my CV? What's my CV? How does my CV compare to other people? But it can be a really useful experience for yourself to update your CV, 
remind yourself of what you have achieved so you've got your qualifications you've maybe had that part-time job or you've been in that you've had that hobby or you know whatever it is and particularly for graduates as well once you've got your degree regardless of the result you've got that forever no one can take that away from you and it's a really nice thing to be able to fall back on think how hard you worked for years and years to get that qualification and the skills that that took and that as you guys say even if you don't know the answer you have actually developed these high level skills to be able to research analyze distinguish between different types of sources and information make decisions so you've got to remember what you do have what you've got to offer here um, yeah. that's objective that's not about that inner voice going mm, well you didn't do this it's objectively you've achieved these things I think I think that's a really good point actually is that objectivity and I love the idea I think that's a brilliant idea I thought it was just me that did that <laughs> just every now and again sort of stick something on your cv and think oh actually yeah that's quite a list i have there but i think it, it is about battling that voice your your imposter voice with evidence yeah you know what is the evidence of you know what, what are other people saying when you ask about your capabilities and what objectively you know would someone think looking at your cv yeah, there's that wonderful thing known as Occam's razor, which is basically where the simplest, you know, the answer to a question is probably nine times out of ten and the correct one. And it's either you have managed to fluke every single thing on your CV and no one has noticed yet in the first 25 years of your life or whatever, or actually there were things that you managed to achieve. And I, I think that's a cracking idea, but anything that brings in that sort of evidence based kind of analysis of, of, of what you, you've achieved rather than you know I, I think that helps I mean I don't know Gemma will know more about this than I do but you know just helps push back against that voice that sits there and tells you that actually you can't do any of these things if you can point to the five qualifications and six that say you can you know, that may help oh absolutely I think it's it's really important to to be objective and to take a step back and look at your achievements and to recognize what you've achieved. And I am also aware that it's not always easy when you've got your inner critic sort of barking at you that actually this is a mistake and somebody's somebody's made a mistake. One of the things that I often talk to students about is, believe it or not, the film Matilda, because it's a great analogy that one day is well one day my analogy is going to expire because I think it was in the 90s when Matilda was made into a film but don't quote me on that yeah let's um, not think about it Gemma we're not that old <laughs> yeah, I'm worried this, I think there's a new version of that film coming out ah oh, fabulous lot, I've got an, I've got another 20 years of using yeah. it <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, Matilda was was really great at demonstrating. Actually, the two teachers you've got a Miss Trunchbull and you've got a Miss Honey. And most people with imposter syndrome, perfectionist traits, they carry around that inner Miss Trunchbull all the time. And it's her, it's her barking orders saying you should have done this and you must do this and you're not good enough. I would absolutely advocate that we. It's really important to balance her out with a kinder, more compassionate Miss Honey. You know, if we've only got Miss Trunchbull in there barking orders and telling us what we've not done or what we should do or what we have to do, then whether we've had the most stressful day of our lives or 
nailed the hardest exam that we've ever done. We've only got Miss Trunchbull to tell us off for it. It is absolutely vital that we have a choice in how we respond to ourselves and how we respond to the world. And if we've only got Miss Trunchbull kicking us when we're down, then maybe it would be more appropriate to respond to whatever's going on in that particular moment with a kind and more compassionate conversation with ourselves. I think that's brilliant, Gemma. That is the best analogy I have heard for this ever. I think we should have just started with that, basically. <laughs> Done five minutes on fighting your inner trunchbull. <laughs> So there's something really around self-reflection then. So it's really yeah. trying to be objective about the things that you feel less confident with and have doubts around, but also acknowledging the sort of personal successes that you've had, whether those were big things or small things. Um, and that might be, as you say, getting through a really difficult exam. It might be if you're an international student, the stress involved in moving to another country and trying to communicate in a different language. It might be just even for a home student, the stress of moving out of home, coming to a new place or the scary, scary thing of what you're going to do after your degree and having lots of people ask you about that. I've noticed that more and more degree programs are kind of trying to integrate reflection as part of the assessment. So whether that's through Mm -hmm. reflective diaries or evaluation forms, and often those things can feel like a bit of a pain in the backside because it's not really obvious. They're not sort of academic, like you're quoting different resources and stuff. It's about yourself and what you think. But yeah. Once you do actually do it, it's actually very useful to detail your thoughts and feelings so you can map it across and look back. Because often when you're coming to job interviews and having to write job applications, you're going to be asked, you know, when was a time that you overcame a challenge or what did you gain from this experience? And if you don't record it or ever really step back and think about it, you can kind of forget about those things. It all blurs into one and you can forget, oh, yeah, that I did do that, didn't I? And, oh, yeah, that was quite tough. And how did I approach that? And what else could I have done there? Why was that a good thing that I did that? At York, we've got York Strengths that helps you reflect on what your strengths and skills are objectively. We've got the York Award to help you kind of really articulate the value of your experience at university but most universities have similar kind of schemes to this to get you thinking about yeah what have I got to offer and in the same way that employers some employers want resilience lots of employers really like self-reflective candidates that's becoming more of a thing that Mm -hmm. you know they want people to know themselves and understand what their training needs are but also be able to give that self-praise and acknowledge your own success as well. Yeah. And I think I think that's such a good point, because if you think about I was just reflecting um, I'm reflecting myself when you were talking there. Um, and it was about, you know, if you think about the questions that you are asked at job interviews, you know, the common questions that you get asked, you get asked about, you know, how did you come back after a setback? Um, how did you overcome a challenge? You know, I've, I've been asked questions about, you know, what's been your biggest failure um, in your career, that kind of thing. And if, and if you think about it, that's what employers want to know. They don't, you know, it's not as though you sit down in a, in a job interview and someone says, have you ever been wrong about anything? And you, and you go, no, I haven't actually. And they go, fantastic, welcome to the company. They want someone who has, and there's some great, and inevitably there's some great TED Talks about this, 
But um, I remember, I think it was Brene Brown on, on a TED Talk um, was basically saying, you know, TED Talks are basically, they're, they're all people who failed because they have then learned something through it and have, you know, uh, they have at least tried. They have tried to do something. They have they have failed. The, that failure has been a, a teaching moment or a learning moment. And then they have, you know, we talk about resilience again. They have bounced back from that. So I think in a weird way, if you just, think about the kind of things that employers ask you um then that in itself is an indication that they're not expecting this perfect individual who knows everything and has never done anything wrong um, I, I think it's accepting that that is part of life in general your career your studies is, is there will be times um when when you can't do something and I, I think it's how you respond to that and and yeah just picking up on, on you saying you know if you can reflect on that and you know write it down remember it then then that is the good stuff that they want to hear okay so we've thought about tackling imposter syndrome through being kind to yourself and acknowledging that it's okay to learn new things and not to automatically know everything from the beginning we've said evidencing your achievements and kind of noticing when something's gone well and you feel proud of yourself this idea of also kind of learning from others and acknowledging that, yeah, we all go through these things. What support sort of externally could students or graduates access or things that they could do to help build their confidence? Is there anything else that sort of externally could be useful to do? By externally, do you mean outside of the university? Kind of, yes, outside, I guess outside of your own head. <laughs> um, I mean, certainly... If, if anyone is struggling with imposter syndrome to the point where it's effect, affecting the daily functioning, I'd say I'd absolutely advocate speaking to someone about it, whether it is an employee support program, whether it's a university mental health and psychological support service, whether it's about finding some self-help resources online, like Joe said, TED Talks. Brené Brown it does some amazing talks on um shame and vulnerability being the cure to shame um some really interesting kind of ad hoc stuff out there around sort of self-compassion and how to how to, how to introduce an inner miss honey um so i and it really is there's so much out there that people can tap into it doesn't need to be formal support from a university mental health service or an employer although absolutely tap into that support as well use the resources that you've got available to you talk to friends about it talk to family about it I would absolutely guarantee that someone in your friendship circle feels exactly the same way and possibly even in your family as well yeah I would really agree with that I think that often students and graduates as well have these resources but can feel like oh I don't know if that's for me. Should I, the imposter syndrome can talk you out of accessing the yeah. resources. But career mentoring is becoming more of a thing. So it can be really useful because you might feel a bit embarrassed, like, oh, I don't want to admit that I don't know what I'm doing or that I'm worried, etc. But actually, people who've signed up to be a mentor want to help and can often really relate to how you're feeling because that's how they felt and that's why they now want to help other people in that position. Yeah, one of the biggest barriers actually to people accessing help, certainly from our service or or from friends and family, I hear every day, I don't want to be a burden. 
which again is that kind of that kind of niggle of imposter syndrome that I that me having feelings and me talking to people would take their time and be a burden on their resources. That's not how relationships work. Relationships are give and take. So my advice would be use the resources around you, whether it's formal support, a mentoring scheme, a mental health service, or whether it be a friend or a family member. I'm um, a mentor um, for staff members at the university. And I would also say absolutely everything that you said about mentoring, that, you know, it's it's a really useful way of understanding that sort of everyone, not everyone, but, you know, the the feelings that you might have about how you perform and all that kind of business. Um, Other people will have felt those um, as well. And it's good to understand that. But I would also say as well that the, the mentors get something out of it as well, because I think everyone is always learning and as a mentor, I certainly don't think that I sit on the top of the mountain and dispatch kind of, you know, marvellous wisdom. I think it's kind of having someone next to you who you feel you can talk to and and who um, potentially is climbing the same mountain as you to talk to the metaphor. It's not as good as Miss Honey and Miss Trunchbull, my metaphor, unfortunately. But it's it's about, you know, it's, it's not as though, you know, mentors have got it all worked out but I think it's it's really interesting conversations and connections to make and a little bit of kind of just cheerleading that you know you've got this and um you know a few things that you can try out you know try asking about something try being vulnerable at that point and saying I don't know this um can you tell me more about it you know just little steps that you can take so that when you do something like that and someone is gives a, a great response, is happy to help, you learn something, you get the information. It's just little steps um, on the road to actually, you know, silencing um, the mistrunchable. Yeah, I think mentoring, it's it's a nice safe space to yeah. to talk through those worries and doubts. And I think particularly when you're starting out in your career, actually to sort of have someone to chat to about what's it really like in that job? What's expected of you? At York, we've got York Profiles and Mentors, and that's a scheme that you can kind of look at the different profiles and contact someone who's a graduate from the university for help. Most universities have a system like that. If you've already graduated I found LinkedIn to be so helpful. I've spoken to so many graduates who have found LinkedIn to be incredibly supportive space where they can ask questions, have a quick Zoom chat with somebody, really get an insight into a different career area. And potentially it might lead to other things like work experience or finding out about a job that's being advertised that maybe you didn't sort of spot yourself. Um, And I think as you guys were sort of suggesting there, having allies as well, someone who's just on your side and encouraging you, even if they can't give you a job or give you work experience, it's someone who's kind of want, you know, wants you to sort of succeed and to feel good about the future. Uh, And I think don't overlook the university networks that you've got as well in friends that you've met and what they go on to do departmental contacts. If you've done work experience, it's keeping in touch with the people that you met in that experience. Often they really want to hear what you're doing next and, you know, see if there's anything that they can help you with for the future. And of course, at careers events, there's opportunities to meet different employers and graduates. So it is just taking that possibly it feels like a brave step but that step to actually talk to people and have the conversations and generally you're going to feel a lot better when you have done that yeah yeah I think think employers always respond to that as well because 
I think employers and managers just want to know what's going on. Um, they, you know, they, they don't want the total package. They don't want the complete finished article. But I, I do think that, well, I mean, this is just my experience, that, that sort of managers and employers, they, they just want to know that, that what they've got, basically. They want to know that they've got someone who, um, if, if they're feeling a little bit you know, underprepared or something like that, is happy to basically say, look, I'm really sorry, I don't have this at all. You're going to have to run through this for me again or, or something like that. I think it, it's it's just knowing what you have is so much more important than, than thinking what you have is, is indestructible and marvellous and knows everything. And, and, and for what that's worth, that's just my experience. Just to, to finish up then, let's all give one top tip uh, that we'd sort of leave people to, to take away and mull over, either in terms of building their confidence or kind of dealing with imposter syndrome. Who would like to go first with their top tip? Um, my top tip would be to go back to that first thing that I said is, is that basically it's for other people to decide whether you are what they are looking for or not. It's not for you to try and somehow mind read what's required or anything like that. It's basically don't get in your own way with this. It's other people's responsibility to say, no, thank you. You're not what we're looking for. It's not for you to rule yourself out of the process altogether. So you've got to be in it to win it. Absolutely. I was trying to think of a really good way of putting that. That didn't sound like the National Lottery, but yeah, absolutely. You know, if someone, there will be all sorts of times in your career where people go, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, and they will be disappointing and you will have to display resilience coming back from things like that. But don't be that person doing it to yourself. You know, it's, it's for other people to tell you that, not you. Gemma, what's your top tip? Honestly, um, balance. Everything is so much easier in life when we have balance, when we have work-life balance, when we balance our trunchbull with Miss Honey, when we balance our relationships with give and take. So we we absolutely are there to support friends and family, but actually we take the time and the space to share ourselves with them as well and our difficulties with them as well. So that would be that would be my top tip is is balance 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 life balance your feelings with your thoughts I, I love that that's that's a really nice one my top tip would be get out of your comfort zone so actually just doing something trying something out going through that trial and error it will help you kind of discover that actually yeah I can deal with this I can and give you more perspective that it's not the end of the world if something doesn't work out. And if you apply for something and you don't get it, okay, there's other things you can apply for. Um, so I think looking at, particularly if you're still a student, is there volunteering you can get involved? Well, there is. <laughs> Through careers, we have lots of volunteering projects that you can get involved in. We've got lots of companies also advertise work experience opportunities. There's student societies where you can take on a role and responsibility, and that counts as work experience as well. So it's just looking for different ways to try something new, challenge yourself, and just give it a go and don't overthink it and if it doesn't work out okay that's not a problem there'll be other things but if you sit in that space of as you said at the beginning Gemma with that kind of sword hanging over you feeling like oh I better not try this I better not do that things probably won't change so just giving it a go and 
accessing the support we've talked about but get out of your comfort zone just go for it i think that's a brilliant idea mainly because i'm reflecting as, as you're talking and all all the more interesting moments of my life <laughs> have been you know when when you do put yourself out of your comfort zone and some uh, comfort zone and sometimes yes it can be really rather lively but you know all, all the good stuff happens when you're outside of your comfort zone i think okay i am going to respond to you by making a confession and taking my own advice when Joe suggested via you that I did this podcast, my response to Joe was, well, the idea of it, Joe, terrifies me, so I should probably do it. <laughs> well, you've done it. You can, you're can um, your official podcast now and you're brilliant. You give absolutely wonderful advice and really kind and supportive and it's so useful for me to have someone who's a professional in sort of the psychotherapy and the well-being side of things obviously I know about the career stuff but it's it's that the more health and the more serious issues that you're dealing with um it's it's really fantastic I'm so grateful to both of you taking the time out to do this today yeah it, it's been great to talk about it actually um I, I hope it's I hope it's well received because I, I do think if you can kind of stick your innermost trunchbull in the cupboard um it is it is a, a lovely moment when you when you just kind of you you take that step towards doing something and I, and I think as well it, it's just mistrunchable gets smaller the more you do it until she turns into it I'm, I'm really torturing this metaphor now <laughs> you end up with a tiny trunchable <laughs> there's there's a reason joe this this metaphor has worked for me for 20 years but just so you know joe she doesn't go in the cupboard we all know she goes in the chokey Oh, she goes in the chokey. I let myself down. My knowledge of Roald Dahl is better than this. Thank you for joining us this week on What Do You Actually Do? This episode was hosted by me, Kate Morris, edited by Stephen Furlong and produced by both of us. If you love this podcast, spread the word and follow us. Are you eager to get more tips? Follow University of York Careers and Placements on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. All useful links are in this episode's description. This has been produced at the University of York Careers and Placements. For more information, visit york.ac.uk forward slash careers.